you're listening to the voice of dog. I'm Kaki, your faithful fireside companion, and today's story is the second and final part of Initial Survey of Quezon Cave Paintings, Origin Unknown, Presumed Upper Mesolithic, by Sakara Fox and Rob McWolf, who think this collaborative story experiment is going well so far, and you can find more of their stories on their respective Sofuri pages. Last time, Sana, mute shaman of the Lentavohi, journeyed out into the wilderness to redress the disrespect a young tribesman committed against the spirits, and there met two mysterious strangers. Please enjoy. Initial survey of Quezom Cave Paintings, Origin Unknown, Presumed Upper Mesolithic, by Sakara Fox and Rob McWolf, Part 2 of 2. The wolf and the wolverine talked, like two tribesmen who had known each other long but not closely, which, it must be admitted, was likely exactly what they were. Sana looked back and forth between them, an eyebrow raised as he listened carefully, vigilant to any sign that they may be hiding their true intentions. Though they seemed too mundane to be hiding anything, perhaps they were just good at creating an illusion. For there was still that strange feeling that played along his senses like music through a flute. The clear presence of strong spirits among them made the fur on his neck tingle and stand on end. Sana cupped his paws over his face and groaned, ground the heels of his palms against his forehead as the thoughts there returned to Unota. That weasel had caused enough trouble, and now these strangers appeared to stall him from fixing him. Nothing was ever easy in this life. With a sigh, Sana let his paws fall to his side as he stared into the fire. He didn't even know which spirits were offended. Spirits could be so arrogant, why couldn't they just air their grievances like any other hunter? Sana longed for an answer to be handed to him, all neatly poured into a bowl, the way his teacher's stories had said things used to be when shaman were more powerful and spirits recognized and respected them on sight. Come to think of it, how did these strangers know he was a shaman? The otter glanced down at himself, briefly, in a way he hoped wasn't obvious. He couldn't pick out any dead giveaways of his position within the tribe. The clothing he wore wasn't special, just treated skins wrapped about his person in the most comfortable manner. The usual jewellery of bones and amber were back at the camp too, too cumbersome to wear out this time of night. "'Shall we?' the wolverine's posture straightened. "'Get on with what we have to say. I have travelled far to reach this place, and I will have far to travel when we are done.' "'We're not all here yet,' the wolf poked the fire with a twig. "'And we are observed.' "'I think he is.' The wolverine's eyes bored into Sana until he could almost feel them. "'Unlikely to tell any secrets?' Slowly, Sana raised a finger, clearing his throat to grab the attention of his two strange, unexpected guests. If he could speak, he would have asked for names, but he had to make do with what he knew.' Placing his fist on his ribs, he firmly bumped his chest a few times and pointed at the wolverine, cocking his head to the side and keeping his eyebrow raised with an inquisitive gaze. Worst case was that it came off as an attempt to show dominance, spirits forbid. You wish to know his name? The wolf's voice was mildly amused, which seemed unfair. It was a reasonable question, given they'd apparently understood it. But it seemed to be difficult. 
The wolverine scratched pensively at his chin before answering, "'I have no name among the peoples of these lands. That's why—one reason why—' the wolf interrupted. "'One reason why,' the wolverine sighed, "'we chose to meet here. You may call me Hunter, if you wish.' "'Is the matter of what we do, then?' said the wolf. "'Then you may call me Mourner.' "'If it's a matter of what we do, then he ought to call you Kiltlifter,' Hunter growled. Sana tensed for a fight, but the wolf laughed raucously. "'And I suppose that makes our third guest, if he ever arrives. "'Speaker, perhaps?' Mourner grinned. "'Are you asking me?' Hunter said. "'He's your son, not mine.' I, and precious few indeed, are those who can claim not to be your son. Is this, cut in another voice, cold and serious, the counsel I was called for? A sudden wind rushed through the trees and raced the fire up enough to show someone in a hooded cloak that covered him front and back so that only the face revealed him to be a crow standing behind Hunter and Mourner. The wolf grinned. Hardly. But come, meet our guest. He he cannot speak. His name is Sana, son of Kirkamet, shaman of the Lentavohi. Speaker intoned, as if for some kind of ritual, as if all he did was chant and preach and recite, and never simply talked. He has come seeking to write the balance, and he shall find much more than he expected. The crow did not sit. He stood on Sana's left, across from Hunter. How is it? Hunter peered through the fire at his apparently son, and Sana's stomach was falling out of him now that he suspected what it meant for a wolverine's son to be a crow, why they knew him without introduction, and why he felt, more than ever, the presence of powerful spirits. "'That you know him?' "'I listen as well as speak.' Speaker's beak clacked sharply when he said, "'That doesn't help,' Mourner commented very cheerfully. Speaker shrugged. If you will not take my word for it, his head turned sharply toward the otter. I have not yet given you the gift you are due as host. If you will. And he leaned over the otter till his face was inches from the shaman's. Sana's eyes widened as he pulled back, only a little. His hands wanted to shout, Are you trying to kiss me? But the crow was already too close. And if these people were what he suspected they were— then a kiss might mean something much more than itself. This might be courtesy among these beings. This might be very unwise to refuse. And when was the last time he'd been offered something like that anyway? He realized his mouth was open because he felt something enter it, but not what he expected. A warm breath. Speaker was exhaling, steadily, forcefully, and it filled his nose and mouth and pressed into his lungs like the smell of a distant thunderstorm, and he could feel it moving in there, like an alive thing. He would have wanted to cough, but his chest wouldn't cough. He would have wanted to collapse to his knees in exhaustion, but he'd never felt more filled with wakefulness. Speaker pulled away, face impassive, apparently satisfied. What did you— Sana said, then stopped. Slowly, he tested with one of the paws he'd just clapped to his face in shock. Probed his muzzle with an experimental finger. There was no tongue within, as ever. He looked at the crow in awe. How? he said, nonetheless. 
How does the sun rise? Speaker lowered his hood and finally took a seat. How does the river flow to the sea? How does the horse learn to run? We are what we do, shaman. Sana continued to poke and prod at his lips, running his thumb along his teeth as he listened to the crow. Speaker. Again, he'd hoped for a real answer, but he should have known better. After all, it was as clear as night and day now that these were no ordinary guests. You know, the shaman began, trailing off for a second to smack his lips, the sensation of speech still so new that it twisted a tongue he did not have. I always imagined speech made these affairs much easier, Sana mused, almost to himself, idly directing his words towards the crow. Silence hung in the air between them for a few moments, Sana carefully looking over the crow who had returned his voice. Only the crackle of the fire and the whistle of night birds filling the air until the otter spoke up once again. Keep your peace, then, he mumbled as he turned to look back into the flames, watching them dance against the silhouettes of the fir trees. So, you two who resemble Rakul and Metsevaha, and you I do not recognize, why do you keep your true names from me? Sucking in his breath, the otter shaman turned his head to look over each of his guests. If they were spirits, as was certain at this point, then he only recognized two of their forms, and yet they acted nothing like they were said to. The power of speech should have been of the oak, not the crow. It is as I said. We have no names among your people, answered Hunter, slower and more deliberate in his manner of speaking this time. As if being recognized for what he was were an onerous task he was now obliged to resume. You are other than, like how the headker have their sun spirits. The otter cocked his head to the side, narrowing his gaze on the wolverine, not entirely sure what to make of such a revelation. We may be, the crow interjected, but maybe we are not unlike you who move from place to place on the game trails as you see fit. Those last words lingered in Sana's ears, biting his lip with one fang as he chewed over their ominous meaning. Whether the speaker meant them to be intimidating, or if they just spoke so matter-of-factly, Sana realized he had to consider his own words carefully. "'You were after something, then. <laughs> but I doubt it was a herd of tall elk,' the shaman forced a nervous chuckle, glancing at each of his guests. "'Perhaps we were merely seeking a welcome fire to gather around,' proposed Mourner, returning the otter's half-hearted chuckle. "'After all,' On the journey I have taken to get me here, I have heard only praise for your people's hospitality. The comment perked Sana's attention, and his ears too, if they were more like those of a wolf. It never occurred to him that spirits could travel like regular hunters, listening to gossip and rumor. I truly forbid they passed judgment based on such hearsay and half-truths. Uh, if I truly wanted to forbid these three from something, could she? The otter scratched his chin, still chewing over the words he was offered. He guessed he should have been grateful, foremost, for a compliment from a spirit surely meant a lot. Especially when he'd come to mend wrongs committed by his people, and even if it seemed such a minor thing to Sana. A tribe that looked out for each other is strong, began the otter, speaking slowly as he mulled over the best way to explain it. We were all raised being told that. It's not hospitality, it's simply living for us. 
There are those who would disagree, Mourner said, with no trace of humor in his voice for the first time. Sana sighed, slightly concerned by the change in tone of the wolf's voice. It was true, as far as he could tell. No Lentavohi thought of sharing supplies as anything special. A hungry hunter gets desperate, and one desperate hunter can spoil the hunt for everyone. It seems not all of your people are so idyllic, Mourner continued, in a tone that grew more serious. Otherwise, you wouldn't be out here. A man belongs at his fireside, with two or three to warm his sleep once the sun has set. If he is elsewhere, he has a reason. The comment made the otter recoil slightly. Of course, Unota and his selfish antics, the reason he had come out into the dark forest alone, and it wasn't the first time. So, then, was it the weasel they wanted? Unota is like the fire raging before us, Mourner asserted, cutting off the shaman as he hesitated to find an excuse for the weasel's behavior. The wolf went on. He is young and yearns for all that life offers, burning brightly. The fire seemed to glow brighter for a moment, the flames jumping as Mourner finished, then settling back down again. Resting his head on one paw, Sana considered the prospect and what the mourner might have wanted him to do about it. He must learn to control that fire before it consumes him, suggested Sana thoughtfully, not entirely certain about his answer. Is that what you really believe? Speaker's cold voice sent a chill up the otter's spine, causing him to glance at the shadowy crow with a deep frown. There was no room for uncertainty when your guests knew more about you than even you do. You have a fire in you, too. One that drives you to overcome your... Mourner bit his lips. Challenges. But you learned from the old ways, seeking knowledge from the dead and the immortals. The weasel is stubborn, sighed Sana as he pinched the bridge of his nose. He accepts no teacher. The otter was telling the truth. He could not recall any hunter who seemed to move the young Unota to action. "'You don't believe that?' Hunter insisted with a deep grumble, adding weight to Speaker's previous statement. "'You, with your tenacious approach to your struggles, wouldn't give up on someone so easily.' Sana felt scathed by Hunter, nervously rubbing his shoulder as he glanced at each of his guests and, once again, carefully considered how to move forward. It felt like an interrogation, not a communion as he had hoped. Part of the otter almost wished for the vague coincidences again. At least they didn't burn into his fur with intense gazes. Some of your tribe whisper through the wind, like the oaks. Like you, do they not? Speaker slowly cocked his head to one side, seeming to take pity on the shaman and his cluelessness. That's when it clicked in Sana's head. No hunter had tamed Unota. No tribe member had adopted him. It was... The horses, mumbled the otter, his eyes widening at the seemingly obvious realization. Sana glanced around at his guests again, noticing that they had all leaned in to listen. He adores the horses, the shaman continued. Seems to spend all his time around them, like he would his own family. That's how I know he's not lost. Sana clasped his paws together and rested his head on his knuckles. That's how I know he's a true Lentavohi at heart. Do you think, then, that... Speaker paused a moment, head cocked to one side, as if running fingers through his memory. 
Razuri and Aituri will be able to reach him, when you by yourself cannot? I am hopeful, and I will try, the otter bowed, and I am humbled that spirits as powerful as yourselves would journey so far merely to aid me. That's not what we came for, Hunter said. But, Mourner grinned, you yourself would know, shaman, when in your journey you come upon a task by chance, there is a reason why it is you before whom it is set. Even if you never learn it, Speaker looked pointedly at Mourner, but now the night wears on. What we would say to one another, we must say before dawn comes. Have you a place to sleep, shaman? I can make myself comfortable under a tree, Sana said. It would not be the first time. I have not yet, Mourner stood, and stepped behind Hunter to Sana's side of the fire, offered our host any guest gift. But I have been told my arms are a safe enough place to rest. His eyes met the shaman's, and strangely still glowed all the colors of sunset, despite his now facing away from the fire. He didn't ask whether Sana wanted to spend the night in his arms, but then did he need to? Memory would elude the otter of the rest of that night, like a small fish sliding through the hole of a net. He could remember blissful weariness filling his body, strong arms wrapping around and supporting him, and his head cushioned on the black fur chest of the wolf spirit, though he couldn't have said, for more than one reason, which of those had happened first. He would try, years later, to paint something of what he remembered on the wall of a limestone grotto, which, after many later ages had passed, some later peoples would find and deem sacred enough to preserve, though they never knew anything of its artist or his tribe, before they themselves were likewise left behind and forgotten by time and eternity. But even if they had understood, pigment and brush and fingertip couldn't capture the way Sana saw Mourner's body become the darkness of the night itself, though no less warm or soft or supportive beneath him saw Speaker's cloak rising through the rustling trees until it was sheets of soft rain covering half the night sky, saw Hunter at the far end of a long straight road the size of a mountain and the outlines of his body made of patterns of stars, as the three of them talked of things Sana could not begin to comprehend, carbon and extinctions and the burning of bones and forests and hoarded treasures and who was responsible or would be responsible for the deaths of entire peoples and whether anything could be done to stop it. Perhaps it was something he'd woken to glimpse. Perhaps this was something he heard while sleeping and wove into a dream. Perhaps the whole night had been a dream, for was that not the sort of thing that happened to a shaman? When he woke, he was alone by an extinguished fire. There were no footprints, no pheasant bones or feathers, indeed no sign to look at that any but himself had been there last night. But the smell of the wolf's fur, the color of ripe blackberries, still clung to him, and scent was the soul after all. That was enough proof for Sana. And after he tried, hesitantly, experimentally, to speak, and managed only a long familiar grunt, he resigned himself that it wasn't as if he'd be telling this story to anyone but himself. If any of his tribe noticed that the berries were flavorful again, or remarked that after three nights of delirious nightmares, Unota was a changed weasel, deeply mindful of the respect due to spirits, and even more devoted to the horses, 
then what point was there in asking the silent shaman for an explanation? Even if he could tell you what was going on, he wouldn't. And what did it matter? The sunset still lit the trees in the evening. The breeze moved the clouds. The path still stretched before all of them, as ever. And the spirits remained out there, somewhere, where only a shaman need concern himself with them. This was the second and final part of Initial Survey of Quasum Cave Paintings, Origin Unknown, Presumed Upper Mesolithic, by Sakara Fox and Rob McWolf. Read for you by Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. As always, you can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog, or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog. <laughs>